Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I'm joined today by the one, the only, Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, what's up? I'm currently playing a million keyboards. What's up with you, Stuart? I am also doing well, more or less, sometimes less, um, but... A-okay. Actually, I'm really good. Here's why. Once a year so far for the last couple of years, we get the most specialist episode imaginable. And this is that time. And this is our live from the uh, IAGLER. What is that? The International Association for Great Lakes Research Conference. Nice. I am super excited to be broadcasting from IAGLER live this year. And, and what we're doing is we are interviewing a couple of award winners. Uh, we're lucky enough this year to be able to interview um, Dr. Hank Vanderplug, uh, who is a research ecologist and ecosystems dynamics branch chief at the NOAA Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory uh, and the IAGLER Lifetime Achievement Award winner. And also Ms. Margaret Lansing, who's a communications specialist um, and the Jack Valentine Award winner. So uh, it should be a whole lot of fun. As I mentioned, we are joined today by Dr. Hank Vanderplug, the IAGLER Lifetime Achievement Award winner. Hank, how are you? And while Hank gets back on, we're also joined by Margaret Lansing. Margaret, how are you today? I'm doing great, Stuart. Hi. Hi, Carolyn. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us. And I just wanted to mention just really quickly while Hank joins again, um, that the the Jack Valentine Award winner, uh, Margaret Lansing, that award recognizes important and sustained efforts to inform and educate the public and policymakers on Great Lakes issues, raising awareness and support for Great Lakes protecting, protection and restoration. So the fact that you were given this award is pretty awesome. Like, thank it's you really for everything awesome. you've done. I'm pretty excited about it. And as the Science Communication Award is near and dear to the work that we do uh, at, at Sea Grant. And so I'm, I'm very excited about it too. Right. And uh, Hank, I think, has joined again. The, the Agler Lifetime Achievement Award recognizes important and continued contributions to the field of Great Lakes research over a period of 20 years or more. So that is a heck of a thing as well. And uh, so we have a whole bunch of questions that we actually want to get to. And so I'm going to get started right away with those questions. The first one is this. Oh, oh hold on. Stuart, come on. <laughs> uh, this, oh, that's the, oh, oh, that's the hotline ringing, huh? Oh, weird. Okay. Well, we just got a call to our hotline. Well, that's unexpected. So for those who are listening, we have a hotline. You can call it. It's a 765-496-IISG and leave a message. And and uh, and sometimes we play them on the air. And this message, so we introduce everybody who we have a message for uh, is the great, because this is Teach Me About the Great Lakes. And um, so uh, this first one actually is from Bo Bunnell, it looks like. Um, did I get that name right? The great Bo Bunnell. And he's calling with a, a bit of a message for Hank. So let's let's take a listen. You know, one thing that sticks out to me is that if you're an invasive invertebrate in the Great Lakes, look out. Hank is coming to study you and to explain your effects to the rest of us. Bo is absolutely right. Hank, it's uh, it's hard to talk about your work without thinking about, like, you wrote a classic paper back in 2002, you and colleagues, about the distribution and ecological impacts on, on invasive species in the Great Lakes. Uh, can you remember, if you can think back that far, uh, I cannot, but I'm hoping you can. That's why you're an award winner. Uh, why did you Why did you decide to do this work? What drove you to study if you're there? That's an important question. My interest in invasive species goes back almost 10 years earlier. I can say that the 2002 paper in particular arose from a workshop a couple of years earlier 
in which invasive species experts, including myself, were asked by the organizers to understand and then predict the consequences of a wave of invasive species that was likely to have a significant impact on the Great Lakes. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll revisit that um, uh, in a moment and uh, come back. But Margaret, actually, so we did have a question uh, for you that I think was really important, too. And so what I wanted to ask you was, oh, oh, geez, it's happening again. Totally unexpected. Oh, my goodness. Oh, another message. Huh. You're probably wondering how many of these we're going to get. Since Carolyn isn't right next to me, we could get a lot. Uh, uh, anyway, so Margaret. Oh, this is a message from uh, Debbie Lee, who I think is the director of your uh, lab, if that's correct. Let's, let's hear what Debbie had to say. The depth, breadth, and longevity of her efforts in championing the Great Lakes through communication is absolutely astounding. And I say that without hesitation. And I believe she's unparalleled in her efforts. So you are an unparalleled science communicator, and that's near and dear uh, to our heart. How did how'd you get started in science communication? Well, it's interesting, Stuart. I like to joke that I'm a recovering scientist. You know, I started out on the research side, and um, I was saying at that award ceremony yesterday that used to be that we'd have tours at our lab in Ann Arbor, and people would come through, and I happened to walk work as a bench chemist in a lab that was very visually interesting. It had this big high vacuum cryogenic distillation line where I isolated gases and they used dry ice and flames to isolate gas, seal off tubes of gases and people would come in and I love to explain what I was doing and people just seem to appreciate me simplifying what looks so complicated. And so that kind of was how I got started just being a ham on lab tours. <laughs> Being a ham on lab tours, that's fantastic. And a couple of, um, not that we have more people who are going to call in, and I hope that Stuart isn't going to play that ringing thing every single time we plan to play a clip. Um, but um, a couple of the, in your nomination packet, a couple of people did mention that the tours were where you really seem to um, draw people in and, and do a really great job. So that's fantastic. Thinking about like the science communication process, you've been at this um, for a while. So, uh, uh, you know, one thing that I think people mentioned a lot was you did a great job of building trust with scientists. And I think that's really hard to do, but I think it's key. Um, so how do you do that? Like, do or how have you been able to build a trust and a rapport so that people know that you're not going to, you know, that you're going to make science understandable without oversimplifying it, I guess? Sure. Well, I think, you know, I, I had the benefit of being on the science side and working in the same organization for many years. I've been in the same place at the Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab for 30 plus years. So I worked side by side as a scientist with a lot of the scientists that I'm doing the communications for. But I would say for people who don't have that advantage, that I think um, spending, spending time talking with the scientists and uh, building that rapport with them building their trust, um, conveying back to them what you think that they're doing before sharing it out and seeing if they agree with what you're saying about that work really helps build the trust. So one other thing, thinking about your career and kind of how it's gone is like things have changed a lot, right? I mean, you started, um, since this is a, a lifetime award, you started kind of probably a bit ago. And um <laughs> without without dating anybody too much. So how uh how have, have you noticed like any sort of big picture changes to science communication over that time? Like what are what are things that are I guess um see either big changes or what are things that are better now than they used to be? Oh sure, fantastic. Well, 
So for one thing, science communications is a phrase now that people know and recognize. You know, when uh, in the earlier days for research, we thought communicating was publishing a paper in a peer-reviewed journal. Like that was communicating your science. That was what you did. Or you went to IAGLER and you give a presentation. So, you know, if you fast forward to today, it's, you know, there's just so many different communication avenues and a lot of them online, you know, I, I definitely predate the internet. <laughs> so with the internet and then with all the social media and, you know, just, you can just reach so many people and you can engage a much broader audience. You know, we're not just talking to our peers anymore. We're talking to all ages. We're trying to really reach out and talk more about why the science that we do is important to just to the Great Lakes, to the restoration of them, to informing science policies, to funding, you know, to, to helping people make good sound funding decisions based on our research. So maybe we can, thanks, Margaret, that's a really nice lead in. Maybe we could head back to, to Hank now to talk about um, where the, the paper you talked about. And um, so Margaret was just talking about the importance of communicating the work that's being done. And, and the paper we talked about um, described and predicted the impacts of six different Ponto-Caspian species that had invaded the Great Lakes, uh, zebra mussel, quagga mussel, abenthic amphipod, the round goby, and tube nose goby. So um, what is a Ponto-Caspian species? These are uh, species native to the Caspian and Black Seas and other water bodies nearby. What's important about them today is that inland river canals transported some of these species from those seas to the Baltic seas, and then from there in ship water, ships ballast water across the Atlantic to the St. Lawrence Seaway and thus to the Great Lakes. Others came directly from the Black Sea. My understanding is this really started to become a problem like in the 90s, maybe late 80s, and then 90s is when our awareness really kicked off. Is that is that kind of match your recollection? That is cor correct. The uh, These species were uh, found during the uh, mid-1980s uh, for the first first time, first discovered. What did your paper, so you, 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 you sort of made some predictions and, and talked about the impacts in the AI, the invasive species. How did that paper change our understanding of the issues in the Great Lakes, I guess? Yes, uh, th thank you for uh, asking. We were able to use uh, existing ecological theory. Uh, we developed scenarios and plausible uh, predictions and testable hypotheses for the Great Lakes as well as other water bodies where they could spread. So that's what its basic importance was. And they made a handful of predictions in there too. Um, did you find like how were the were you, your predictions were basically accurate? But is there anything that surprised you? I guess over the last twenty years since that paper came out, has it what surprised you about uh, AIS? Yeah, we were uh, correct about the interactions, but what surprised me uh, was the magnitude of the impact of the quagga mussels was larger much larger than I had anticipated. We had predicted its interactions, but not the magnitude of its impacts. Why did, like, why did that surprise you? Um, what is it about the quagga mussel that surprised? Like, that was unexpected, I guess. Right. Well, there had been very little experience with it, and we had just observed it spread into deep water. And work subsequent of that we continue to monitor, uh, monitor its presence in the environment 
And then we saw massive changes in the amount of phytoplankton found in the uh, food web, particularly in Lake Michigan. Uh, then I had done some experiments showing that they could indeed feed on the phytoplankton faster they can grow over much of the lake. So that was the dem demonstration that we had a real problem on our hands. That's crazy. Um, so, I mean, having worked in uh, food web research myself in some places, um, the impact of the quagga mussels and the number of people that I've said, you know, they're like, oh, zebra mussels. I'm like, no, 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 quaggas. Quaggas are the crazy ones. Um, one, I think Stuart has, has a clip um, about someone who had a comment about Hank and what he's doing. And then I'm going to ask Margaret a question. Okay, I do. And uh, uh, per Carolyn's request, I will stop with the phone ringing gag, uh, probably. But I reserve the right. Okay. Hank's research has not only added to the conversation on understanding trophic dynamics in the Great Lakes, he's changed the conversation in many ways. And not many of us can brag that. Um, and his understanding of of the individual biology and autocology of, of zooplankton and other organisms is truly unique. So a hearty congratulations to Hank. Great. And that again was uh, Hunter Carrick from Central Michigan University. Um, so Margaret, you, you and Hank both work at the NOAA Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory. And Hank is a super impressive scientist, um, but there's a whole team of incredible scientists at that organization. So um, what's it like for you communicating like these types of stories that are really completely changing the face of the way that people understand the Great Lakes. Well, it's it's such a privilege and it's so much fun. You know, we're like a family there. You know, we're all in one building. Well, now we're not with COVID, but um, we've been managing to convene remotely. But we all know each other so well. You know, you spend that so many years together. You know, Hank and I have been together for, I'll just say, above 33 years. I won't get, get into specifics. And and so many of us have been there together for so long. So you really get to know each other and each other's science. And um, uh, so it's, it's, it's just quite frankly, a lot of fun, you know, working together. There's a lot of camaraderie with our, with our field teams and with the vessel crews and they'll share pictures and they um, interact with the scientists. So there's a lot of interdisciplinary collaboration and it's just such a privilege to be sitting there um, in a position like mine where I just have a, a broad reach by virtue of the fact that I'm working for NOAA. So it's a large organization and we have a loud microphone. And so can you imagine, you know, just how much fun that is to share our science stories? Yeah, that really does sound like it's a blast. I'm thinking about that. You're talking about this big interdisciplinary team, right? Uh, what do you think the secret is to like getting an interdisciplinary team together and getting them to do good work in your experience? That's a great question. I'd say the secret is that we know from past experiences the benefits of working together and so appreciate how a spirit of cooperation is basic to the advances in science that we can only do together as a team. Uh, science one might say, is a team sport. And as Margaret has already alluded to, we have a lot of fun working together. But do you ever find, so I'm a social scientist by training, right? And so I find, you know, something I struggle with a lot of times is getting added onto a project like at the last minute. I call it last paragraph disease. Um, and and uh, 
uh, do you ever find that it's hard to get the different disciplines together and like talking to each other? Because a lot of times, you know, the language isn't even the same. Like, do you have any rec- you know thoughts on how to do that successfully? Yeah, that's 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 a great uh, question. Uh, I can say uh, part of that comes from our training. I come from an oceanographic background, and when you go out on a research cruise, you have a whole bunch of people on board with different skills that are needed to bring, that are brought together to understand what's going on in the environment. And the same thing applies to the Great Lakes. You know, we're not, we're across between small lakes and the ocean. So a lot of the work we do on the Great Lakes would be the same sort of work we do on the oceans. I'll just chime in on that one too, if you don't mind. Just, you know, we're we're co-located there at our facility. Um, and so we just we just all meet together, you know, you know, so the, the chemists get together with the biologists, with the physicists, and we sit in a room together and and we talk about our projects. We um, propose research together. So you just have all those different teams. And then just by virtue of being there in Ann Arbor, we can serve now we're more of a virtual hub but we can serve as a physical hub we have workshops where people come in and we're close to university and of course we collaborate with the university of michigan and our cooperative institute for great lakes research so just proximity and availability and you know these days with all these online tools like zoom and go to meeting in a way that's been a silver lining of covid we've hosted webinars and things where the attendance is actually way up and so a lot of people uh, have actually chimed in about that and been really admirers, I think, of the way you've been able to bring different people together. And we have a couple of clips we want to play. No phone thingy. Um, but imagine in your mind, listener, that there's a phone ringing now and I'm making a stilted, awkward and unfunny joke about how it's a message when really they sent them in weeks ago. OK, so here's one. Uh, this is actually Debbie Lee for you, Margaret. Let's hear what she has to say related to that sort of reading her letters of support brought tears to my eyes because it was clear how many lives she's touched through promoting Great Lakes awareness and stewardship. And I think that sort of speaks to what, you know, and this is part of why you're a Jack Valentine Award winner, right, is is lives that are touched through your communication. I think that that's something that not everybody thinks about when it comes to science, right? But when you're talking about these teams and everything, I think that's critical. And here's um, Steve Francoeur. You know, when when you relate your own story of your professional journey from starting off as an EMU student to eventually working for NOAA, that really provides a, a great example to my current students at Eastern. And, you know, you can sometimes see it in their eyes as it dawns on some of them that, that similar professional pathways are out there and open for them, too. So what I'm hearing here, Margaret, is is like is that personal connection, right, um, that you seem to have made with students who are touring uh, or, you know, students you've worked with or with your teammates. Like, is that something that you intentionally work to create or, or are you just a natural, I guess? No, you know, I think I am a bit of a natural, but it's also very deliberate and calculated, you know, so um, I always coach people no matter where you are, coach fellow communicators and people coming up. It's really all about your audience and knowing your audience. So in that example, we're having college students through. And so you're going to talk about their career trajectories. But in all cases, when you're communicating, you know, in a, with, a, with an educational hat on, because there's different types of communication, but we're trying to educate people. I think you just really, the key is to put yourself in their shoes. And so there's a certain empathy that goes with that, like understanding, you know, where's a kindergartner coming from or where's a college student com- coming from? You know, 
that sort of thing. So paying attention to your audience and just trying to put yourself, what are they seeing, you know, when they when they hear you talk or, or read your tweet? That's interesting how you bring that that empathy into it, though, kind of a, a, explicitly, right? And so so I, I realize that is I'm a relatively new manager. I just started a couple of years ago. Before that, uh, like most social scientists, I hate all people and want to spend no time with them, if at all possible. And um, but, but but realizing how I can kind of apply some of what I learned in grad school and in my research, right, to, to the management, where it's like it's the same sort of stuff. Um, and, and so I think that it was really inspiring to hear people say that about you. And now... Uh, uh, Hank, people actually had some good things to say about your collaborations and, and things like that. Here's uh, our old friend Ed Rutherford uh, right here. His embrace of new technology and ideas and careful experiments on zooplankton and dreisina feeding have kept him solidly in Pasteur's Quadrant throughout his career. All right. First of all, what is Pasteur's Quadrant for, for those of us who don't know? Uh, for example, me. Yes, uh, we can think of uh, re research. Very often we think of basic research and applied research as two very different things. And we can actually think of it in terms of what is called Pasteur's quadrant, is we can think about basic research, which, for, for example, some of the great advances in physics was made were were made without any thought of application. Uh, we can also think of uh, re research uh, that was carried on later in Pasteur's career, where use inspired basic research, fundamental research was carried on. So not only do we get a fundamental understanding of things. But at the same time, this is in the service of something that is very important for society. And so one of the things I stress with my ecologists is that we should be doing fundamental use-inspired research. We get the bang for the buck of understanding the world and at the same time serving society. Yeah, I remember one time I was out with Brian Miller, the former Illinois Indian Sea Grant director, and uh, uh, I was out, the best way to be out with Brian Miller, which was at a local uh, uh, public house, and, um, you know, he said, Stuart, here, you sit me down, this is when I just started, so he's going to dump all his wisdom on me, uh, which is a wonderful opportunity, and he said, Stuart, you know, what's really important is the, the best research is used research, right, at least in terms of in the Sea Grant context, and that's so critical, and, and so it sounds to me like you kind of have that as, as well. Yeah, that that's... Uh something that's been very important and stressed in NOAA. We are public servants serving, doing science in service of the public. And so we do have one more um, clip from uh, one of your, the scientists at Glarel, um, Dr. Ashley Elgin, who I think is a nice example of, um, she came on after Tom Nalepa, who I think may also be a Lifetime Achievement Award winner. Um, and she's really run with um, some of the quagga mussel research and she's doing so many cool things. So Stuart, would you like to play that bling bling? <laughs> I would like to play it. All right, uh, bling bling, beep, 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 beep. You are certainly a major player in Great Lakes limnology and I'm in awe of the depth and breadth of your knowledge. And as far as being a, a supervisor and mentor, you are very understanding, yet you still set a high bar so as a result, in this last crazy year, it was a pretty productive one for me, and I mostly kept my sanity. So thanks for being a, a great colleague, and again, many congratulations. 
That's wonderful. So what I've heard from both of these, Hank, is, um, you know, this idea that you're always keeping up with new technology and you have a really strong depth and breadth of, of knowledge. Uh, what's, what's the secret to that? Like, how do you, how do you, cause I already, um, I'm not a lifetime achievement award eligible yet by, by dint of my age, but, um, uh, what, uh, which is, I assume why I didn't win. Like, how do you do that? How do you not kind of, you know, ossify, I guess, is there a secret to that? It's just having a curiosity about the uh, world, and the thing is, many of the problems we face today, whether they be fisheries production or harmful algae, these are the same questions. But as tools, new tools become available, such as in in the area of the molecular and genetics tools. uh, that are coming online now, we have a toolbox where we can answer some of these, uh, do a better job of answering some of these questions. So I've always been in favor of keeping up with the technology to help us understand uh, some nagging questions that have uh, long been with us. So I just have to paint a picture for your audience, which is in terms of ossification, while Hank puts us all to shame, he works out on, what is that thing, Hank, like a stair stepper, no, fast forward, elliptical, I think they call them ellipticals now. And uh, he is in there, he's intense and he has the healthiest diet, he puts us all to shame. So that's partly how he's in the game. He is the healthiest person I know. You know, it's important, right? Isn't it? And actually, that that came up a couple of different times. One, I didn't get a clip from our director, Thomas Hook, but when I told him we were going to interview you, he mentioned the elliptical. That came that came to be. And then I think we have another one here. Let me just go ahead and play this from, uh, is it Bo Bunnell? Here we go. I have a good memory of cross-country skiing with Hank one night in Muskegon, Michigan, probably a decade or so ago. I was a novice, you know, not from the Great Lakes region, and he was a great teacher on the best techniques. And for those of you that don't know about Hank's dedication, um, it it extends not only to research, but also to physical fitness. Um, Just another inspirational side of of Hank. He was hard to keep up with on the trails that winter night. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, so I guess uh, one thing I will say is, you know, from the calls, and we have additional calls that we'll play for you at the at the end, or we'll send to you, we'll figure that out in a second. But um, from the calls that we received, and we sent that out relatively recently, and we got a great response, because everybody just wanted to um, share some thoughts about you and their congratulations. Um, it was really clear that you both have, like, tremendous enthusiasm for the Great Lakes and, and sharing things like that. And so... Um, we had one last clip that I think we wanted to play. Encounter with Margaret's educational programs was along the shores of the Detroit River at Detroit River Days. My group was hosting an educational booth on fishing and associated fishing advisories, and a little girl came up to our booth and had a sea lamprey tattoo on her arm and was excitedly talking about a booth she had just been, been to that had sea lamprey. During a break, I went over to check it out, and sure enough, Margaret Lansing was running an educational invasive species program for kids K-12. And that, that was Donna Cashin. She was talking about River Days in Detroit. Um, Dr. Donna Cashin from Wayne State University. And when you mentioned earlier, like, where is the kindergartner coming from? Earlier, one of you saw my second grader come in. Uh, you may have seen her come in. And when you say, look at it from their perspective, tattoos are like perfect, just perfect. So you've obviously done a really great job 
um, and thank you. That's really wonderful. So uh, one thing before we move on, one thing I, I want to ask, because uh, I want to get your opinion on this, Margaret, because this is something I think about a lot. So how do you balance you know, transitioning. So you take that enthusiasm, that's wonderful. And you take that human touch, which we've heard over and over and over again, that I think is obviously a cornerstone of the great work you do. But things have changed so quickly over in media, right? Uh, uh, how do you balance like knowing how to be progressive and like on the new thing versus trying to do solid work and, and stuff like that? I don't know. That's something we think about a lot. And, and our communications coordinators are very good at it, but I'm, I'm just always curious about it. Like, how do you know it's time to jump on TikTok or Twitch or whatever versus, uh, not at work, um, but I mean, and, and um, versus, you know, we want to stick to the tried and true. Do you have any thoughts on how to, how to do that? Yeah. So we embrace, and I think uh, my guess is a lot of the Sea Grant folks, I think, in fact, I know we're embracing the new technology. I really think that that's the way to go. You know, we'll always, the bread and butter is always going to be peer-reviewed publications, no doubt. You know, we are scientists. We're going to talk to our peers. But in terms of those science translation products where you're making them available, I say go for the reach. Go for the reach, you know, and uh, so you got your Twitter, your Facebook, and, you know, so we're trying to go with the standard avenues now. If if we had more people, we would do it all because I just love it. I think that's the way to go, uh, you know, because you can amplify each other and tag each other and it just builds, it takes on a life of its own. That it sure does. And then Hank, I have one sort of big, that's interesting, actually. And it's really inspiring to tell you the truth. And that's part of why you're the Jack Valentine Award winner, right? Is that you're able to do that and, and, and roll with those uh, changes, roll with the tides of change as they come through. So Hank, thinking big picture uh, over the course of your career, this is a question I'd like to ask. Um, what is the story of the Great Lakes, like from your perspective, when it comes to your research or whatever, and, and how it's evolved over the course of your career? Like, what is the big picture story or take home or conclusion that you that you might draw? Yes, that, that that's a, an important question. Early on, we were very concerned about eutrophication, and we, we still are. That is the addition of new nutrients uh, to the water, which caused uh, harmful algal blooms, and we're still getting them in um, Lake, Lake Erie, and we're trying to figure out what, what, are, what are the causes and what mitigation strategies can we take, take on. And the other thing has been invasive species. Um, that's the other ma major um, theme. They've, in the case of Lake Erie, they've exacerbated the harmful algal uh, blooms. In other systems, we've reduced nutrient loading and this has caused uh, lower productivity in the lakes with uh, these invasives robbing different points of the in in the uh, food web and this has uh, been causing uh, problems of a uh, loss of our offshore fisheries uh, both our commercial as well as our uh, very imp important recreational fisheries so there are these. Uh, so these are the issues that still face us. Um, climate change uh, will, will be an issue that we really can't predict what's going to happen from our current knowledge uh, base. So that will be uh, something that we're going to have to deal with and try to develop mitigation strategies uh, for for that. 
yeah, the story isn't over, is it, in terms of the challenges associated with the, this amazing resource that, that uh, I've, I've really enjoyed learning about over the last, uh, at this point, 33 episodes of this show. Um, uh, so that's really great. And I, it's, it's, I'm so excited and fired up that, you know, we have people like the both of you who are so passionate, uh, so compassionate. That seems to be a very consistent theme, uh, that's had, you know, just this really great impact on scientists, educators, students, and many others, because the challenges are not light going forward. Right. And so we need, uh, people, people just like you to do it. That's really interesting, but that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes uh, this beautiful Friday afternoon. The reason that we invite you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is to ask you two questions. And the first question is this, and we'll start with Hank, Lifetime Achievement Award winner. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose? Once a week, I would indulge in a donut. We have a donut day at the lab every Friday, and I make sure I get an early to get my favorite donut. That is perfect. So what is what is your favorite donut? You're in Ann Arbor, right? So when I'm in Ann Arbor and I want to get the Hank Vanderplug favorite donut, where should I go and what should I get? Oh, the Dexter Bakery. And we will leave a link to that in our show notes, which you, listener, can find at uh, teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash 33, the number 33, because this is episode 33. We will also leave a bunch of other links, too, but the most important one will be where to get a donut or a sandwich. <laughs> you mean other donut places? Oh, yes. no, links to all their work and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fine. We'll do that, yes. But more importantly, uh, uh, is it Dexter's? Dexter Donuts. We will do that. Yeah. All right, Margaret, how's about you? Sandwich or donut? Stuart, I'm going with a sandwich, and I'm just going to say that um, Hank and I, over the years, back in the day, um, would go to big boys together and have lunch, and not not just me. Hank was a mentor to so many young people, and we it was within walking distance of a previous facility, not the one we're in now, because, of course, we've both been around forever, and we would walk over to that big boy or drive over, and uh, Hank would teach me about what, talk about the ecology of the Great Lakes when I was just getting started, and I know he did that with a lot of postdocs and a lot of students, so, but over a sandwich, not a donut. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that's excellent. All right. Since we're on the topic, I, I have to ask, and Carolyn's going to kill me, and that's fine. But so, Hank, you've done a lot of work on like invasive species, right? And so one of the key invasive species in the Great Lakes is the uh, the round goby, right? So I, this is an idea I have. So they're kind of tubular, right, in shape. So I'm thinking if Sea Grant doesn't work out for me, which it might not after this episode, um, uh, 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 of starting a business where you sell goby dogs, on like a stand in Chicago, you know, you pop them in a bun, a little mustard, maybe a pickle, some relish. Have you eaten a goby before, Hank? No, I haven't, but they actually uh, canned them uh, in East, Eastern Europe, you, so you can buy uh, canned gobies. Look at that. And so goby dog, that sounds, you're the first person to not uh, spit at me when I've said this. So you see there is, and there's a lot of Eastern European like culture in uh, Chicago. So I think this could work, actually. Yeah, you never know. You never know. That's the politest way of saying buzz off I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I actually think that, that, Hank, you need to realize just how much this is going to buoy um, Stuart up in terms of his Gobi Dog franchise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a thing. It, it's not a thing yet, but it will be a thing one day. So I'm fired up about the Gobi Dogs more so than ever. All right. And the second one of our key questions, the real reason we invited you is this. And, and Margaret, I would love to start with you on this one. And this whole thing has been that a little bit, but uh, what is it that makes you good at being a communication specialist, right? What are the key skills for your kind of work? 
Uh, well, you know, there's sort of the obvious, you know, being a writer, being comfortable talking to people. But I would say to other communication specialists, anybody considering it, it's important to navigate your organization, whatever it might be, and to learn about that. So, you know, Sea Grant, NOAA, we're within a network. And so get to know your networks because, you know, the, the lakes are vast. There's so many things to message about. You, you um, leverage your network. So being a boundary runner, I think I'm a natural at that, I would call it, where you can navigate between organizations and understand who's who you got to get to know, you know, um, in order to get your message out. So there's there's more than just that outward outreach, it's in reach and navigating and getting the support of your leadership and the scientists that you touched on and building those relationships because it's still kind of a new field, you know, and there's some places where there's hardly any thought about science communication. So just helping to expand that network, that that's what I would say. And Hank, how about you? So you're a research psychologist at a federal agency, right? What makes you good at that job? What are what are key skills for that type of work? Yeah, you know, the, the many of the uh, skills are the same for any, let, let's say, an academic uh, scientist. In, in, this would include a curiosity of the world uh, around us, paying attention to detail, continual learning, and being able to design experiments and test hypothesis. And then there's one uh, last skill, and that's to be able to anticipate the next big question where others have not explored. And in part, that's driven by experience. And I would say it's what we don't know that's important. That's wonderful. I can't think of a better way to wrap it up than that. Uh, Hank Vanderplug, Dr. Hank Vanderplug, research ecologist and ecosystem dynamics branch chief at NOAA Great Lakes, uh, NOAA's Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory, GLARAL as I call it, and the IAGLER Lifetime Achievement Award winner, and Margaret Lansing, communications specialist at the Lake, uh, at GLARAL also, excuse me, and the Jack Valentine Award winner. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. <music> It's always great to be part of the Iagler Conference and to interview their award winners. It's, uh, you know, I learn a lot with these things, right? Because these are people who, they just have a ton of experience and experience is, is interesting to talk to, I suppose. Right. Yeah. And so um, we want to thank the Iagler, um, the conference organizing committee um, and the, the board, really. Uh, Ed Verhaney is probably the person that we should thank the most, who was is the outgoing president or past president. I cannot remember which one it is. Um, so for, for helping set up this. And then also Paula McIntyre, who's the Iagler communications uh, coordinator, who um, really helped us set this up. So thanks to Paula and Ed, we were really excited to be able to do this again. We hope we get to do it next year. Maybe at some point we'll get to do this actually live at Iagler, but who knows? And Maybe, then you, you will have a better- You'd have to get me out of my cave first, so we'll see. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So, and, Theoretically, it would be great, yes. Yeah, so if, if anybody, if any of our listeners want to learn about it, um, I know that the something that was really great about this year's conference was they, they were sort of they're, get, they're becoming more intentional about, about making sure they include additional voices at the table. And so it's I, it's literally IAGLR.org. Um, but if you have any interest in the Great Lakes um, or you, uh, you're you excited about the Great Lakes, you want to become involved somehow, I encourage you to go check them out. 
um, they are interested in pulling more voices in. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, that really is. Uh, great. And then uh, one announcement before we wrap up, and that is uh, we announced it last month, but I want to remind you, we are going to convene the very first meeting of the Teach Me About the Red Lakes Book Club. Uh, we're going to be reading and discussing Dan Egan's death and life of the Great Lakes sometime late summer, early fall, no later than next year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it just depends. We, we're going to be using that book for a couple of things. We thought, thought it'd be a great chance to talk about it. So if you want to take part in that, please go ahead and check it out. Start reading it. Uh, we're going to take listener emails and calls. Who knows? Maybe the calls will happen live on the air. And uh, But we want to talk about it. So I encourage you to check that book out if you want to participate in the book club. It's also just a really great book. Oh, yeah. There's that, too. There's a certain quality of the book in and of itself. But that's not uh, that's not like high on my list of why I care about it. I care about it for me, which is I would like you to participate in our podcast. So I really care about you, listener, a lot more than I care about the book. So you're welcome for that. <laughs> Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org and at ILINC Grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn, and Rainy Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport. The show is edited by the awesome Gwyn Rose, and I encourage you to check her work out at aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question or comment about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our fabulous hotline at 765-496-IISG. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Teach Great Lakes. Thanks for listening, and keep greeting those lakes. I was actually going to make that sound myself, but then you played it. Hello, this is Ashley Elgin. I want to say congratulations to you, Hank, for the Receiving Your Eichler Achievement Award. You are certainly a major player in Great Lakes limnology, and I'm in awe of the depth and breadth of your knowledge. And as far as being a, a supervisor and mentor, you are very understanding, yet you still set a high bar. So as a result, in this last crazy year, it was a pretty productive one for me, and I mostly kept my sanity. So thanks for being a, a great colleague, and again, many congratulations. Thanks. Congratulate you on such an impressive career and the Lifetime Achievement Award that IAGLER is bestowing upon you this year. Your publications, your leadership speak for themselves over your 48-year career. And I'm just counting 48 since your first publication. I'm not exactly sure when you would uh, think your career started. Um, but, you know, one thing that sticks out to me is that if you're an invasive invertebrate in the Great Lakes, look out. Hank is coming to study you and to explain your effects to the rest of us. Hank really did pioneering work on dracaenid mussels and bithotrephes or spiny water flea, to name a few. I also just want to thank Hank for his kindness in working with me and my USGS colleagues over the years. You know, on a personal note, I have a good memory of cross-country skiing with Hank one night in Muskegon, Michigan, probably a decade or so ago. I was a novice, you know, not from the Great Lakes region, and he was a great teacher on the best techniques. And for those of you that don't know about Hank's dedication, um, not, it, it extends not only to research but also to physical fitness. Um, just another inspirational side of, of, of Hank. 
he was hard to keep up with on the trails that winter night. So anyway, congratulations again, Hank. And um, I'm sure you're going to keep on producing many good works over the next decades going forward. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Debbie Lee with NOAA's Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory. I'm very pleased to congratulate Hank Vanderplug for receiving the I. Agler Lifetime Achievement Award. His ecological research has addressed nearly all major concerns that have impacted the Great Lakes over the past 50 years as an internationally known authority on food webs. My favorite memory of Hank is his reminding me that we must first seek to understand and then predict. So congratulations again, Hank, and the whole laboratory celebrates with you. Thank you. This is Hunter Carrick at Central Michigan University. I'm calling to wish Hank Vanderplug a hearty congratulations on the Lifetime Achievement Award from IAGLER. Hank's research has not only added to the conversation on understanding trophic dynamics in the Great Lakes, he's changed the conversation in many ways, and not many of us can brag that. Um, and his understanding of of the individual biology and autocology of, of zooplankton and other organisms is truly unique. So a hearty congratulations to Hank. Hi, this is Ed Rutherford calling to congratulate Hank Vanderplug on receiving the IAGLER Lifetime Achievement Award. It's certainly well-deserved. Not only has he sustained excellence in the laboratory and the field, I think he has excelled as the Ecodyne branch chief at NOAA GLURL as, and as a mentor to younger and older scientists. His embrace of new technology and ideas and careful experiments on zooplankton and Dreisena feeding have kept him solidly in Pasteur's quadrant throughout his career. My favorite memory of Hank is leading the Dial spatial structure cruises in the early 2010s and diving as enthusiastically into the food served as he did the expeditions we made. Let's hope we all can return to the lab after weather the COVID fallout. Congrats, Hank. Hi, Margaret. It's Steve Frank we're calling. I just wanted to say congratulations on receiving the Jack Valentine Award. It's certainly well-deserved. Uh, I've, I've really appreciated working with you over the years, especially on the tours of uh, Glero for my students. Um, you know, when you when you relate your own story of your professional journey from starting off as an EMU student to eventually working for NOAA, that really provides a, a great example to my current students at Eastern. And, you know, you can sometimes see it in their eyes as it dawns on some of them that, that similar professional pathways are out there and open for them, too. I think it's a, it's a real inspiration for them. Thank you very much for, for sharing that. Uh, again, congratulations on the Valentine Award. Great job. Hi, this is Debbie Lee. I'm director of NOAA's Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory. I'm very happy to congratulate Margaret Lansing on winning the I. Agler Jack Valentine Award for Great Lakes Communication. The depth, breadth, and longevity of her efforts in championing the Great Lakes through communication is absolutely astounding. And I say that without hesitation, and I believe she's unparalleled in her efforts. Reading her letters of support brought tears to my eyes because it was clear how many lives she's touched through promoting Great Lakes awareness and stewardship. My favorite memories of Margaret are seeing her lead tours of GLURL, explaining our science in ways everyone can understand, 
whether it's a senator or a student. So congratulations again, Margaret. The whole lab celebrates with you. Hi, this is Try Two from Margaret Lansing's Award on Outreach, and this is Donna Cashin from Wayne State University. My favorite encounter with Margaret's educational programs was along the shores of the Detroit River at Detroit River Days. My group was hosting an educational booth on fishing and associated fishing advisories, and a little girl came up to our booth and had a sea lamprey tattoo on her arm and was excitedly talking about a booth she had just been, been to that had sea lamprey. During a break, I went over to check it out, and sure enough, Margaret Lansing was running an educational invasive species program for kids K-12. Detroit River Day draws up to 200,000 people along the Detroit metropolitan area, an area that has struggling school districts, financial challenges, and racial tensions. For many of the kids, this is their only exposure to Great Lakes science. And as expected, Margaret was in the thick of it, sharing information on um, Great Lakes research with these kids. Thank you.